0: Gracious Lord, we would be lost without you. Father, we thank you for your promised presence with your people. That you will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And Lord, we were so far away from you. Lost in our sin. So far away from your goodness so far away from your peace, so far away from your love because of the sin in our lives. But thank you that your mercy reached out. Thank you that your grace reached out to where we were. Lord, we do not come because of anything to do with ourselves. We can only come in the name of Jesus. Lord, help us to never forget why we are here. The price that has been paid for us. That the darling of heaven was crucified for us. Lord, this morning has felt different. It's felt strange. Lord, maybe even some of us didn't like it. But Father, I thank you. That the meaning is the same. The reason is the same. And the hope we stand upon is the same. That We can have eternal life. Because Jesus Christ shed his blood. And broke his body. For wretched sinners like me. Lord there is so much in our life. That tries to get in the way of you. Father in this moment would you highlight what that is. Help us to come closer to you. Help us to feel your love. Uh, uh, if maybe for the first time this morning. Or Lord maybe we felt in a season that we've just felt so weighed down. Would the redeeming and transformative love of Jesus Christ. Would it flow over us this morning. And Lord now as we turn our attention to t- towards your word. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are open to receive from you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to read from Luke chapter 22 this morning. And it's uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. And we're reading from verse 14 down to verse 23. That's Luke chapter 22 reading from verse 14 down to verse 23, and the words will appear on your screen. And we're going to be thinking about uh, the new cup or a new cup this morning uh, that we have just partaken of. And we'll spend some time teasing out what that means and, and what I mean by the new cup. So let's read Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to 23 together. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, uh, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For uh, For the son of man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another. Which one of them it could be who was going to do this? Amen. Amen. The hour that we read off in Luke chapter 22 verse 14. We read, quite often we read about this hour or that hour. Jesus often says in the gospels that my hour has not yet come. Or we see through the gospel of John this, this theme about this hour, it's like a constant drumbeat through the Gospel of John. And really what it's showing us is the, it's kind of twofold, but the hour is speaking about the passion of Jesus Christ, about his death on the cross, but also about his glorification. So that's what the hour is meaning. It's, it's pointing towards the darkest hour of his crucifixion, but also in that the hour of his glorification. And Jesus knew that his hours were numbered. He knew that as this moment was taking place, as they were preparing for the Passover meal, that actually one of his disciples, who was Judas, he had gone to organize the betrayal of Jesus. As they are preparing this meal that we've just read of here in Luke 22, Judas is away scheming and actually planning the betrayal of Jesus Christ. Jesus knew that He was going to suffer soon. We see that when he talks about that in verse 15. And this was his last night alive. This was a little less than 24 hours before his crucifixion. I wonder if you knew that in 24 hours that you were going to die, what would you be doing? I find it fascinating. This is how Jesus spent some of his last moments here on earth. Before his death and resurrection, this is what he spent his time doing. Gathering with his disciples. He spends it reclining, we read, with his disciples. So the institution of the Lord's Supper takes place during what they would call the Passover meal. And the Passover would be eating, eaten in a reclining position. So some of us see the, the Last Supper, uh, that famous painting, and they're all sitting around a table. But actually, the way that they would have done it is they'd be reclining. They'd be lying down on one of their sides with cushions and pillows under their arm. They are reclining. But what's fascinating is, and we see that Jesus is here with his disciples, or the apostles, it says, sorry, in Verse 14. We see in verse 14 actually who the center figure, the center point of this passage of scripture is. The attention and the focus is on Jesus. It is Jesus who is reclined and the apostles are with him. They're just a wee afterthought really because this is really all about Jesus. He is the one we read that is reclined at the table and the apostles were there with him as well. Just last week we thought about Revelation 5, about how the Lamb was the center figure and center focus in that throne room where the scroll has been taken. It's all about the Lamb. We see it's here as well that it's all about Jesus. He is where our attention should be focused on. And actually, just in this very small verse, we see something of the substance and the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We see the heart of discipleship, that actually it's all about him, that actually we should be gathering around him, around his name, around his ways, around his heart. It is all about being with Jesus. To be a Christian means to be with Jesus, to be in relationship with him, to be in Christ. It's why what we've done this morning is sometimes called communion. We're communing with him. I wonder this morning if I asked you the question, Are you reclining with Jesus this morning? What would your answer be? Are you reclining with Jesus this morning? And as they recline round this table, round this Passover meal, Jesus says in verse 15 these words, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So what is Passover? What is this meal that they are spending time together eating that Jesus so earnestly desired. It wasn't just a wish he had, it was like a heart motive. He wanted to be there with them doing this before he suffered. So what is Passover? So if you can remember back to Exodus where the people of God are in slavery in Egypt and they're literally in bondage and in slavery. They're being held as captives and God tells Moses to go and say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, you need to let God's people go. And Pharaoh says, nope. So God sends plagues. And one of the plagues that that actually moves Pharaoh to allowing God's people to go was the, the, the death of the firstborn son. But any, even though this plague was coming, any who covered their doorposts with the blood of a lamb Would be safe. Because the angel of death would literally pass over their house because they saw that the doorposts were covered by the blood of a lamb. And this led Pharaoh to the place of allowing God's people to go free. And they were slave, uh, they were freed from slavery, they were delivered from slavery in Egypt. And as part of this, they, they had this meal that they would do and they would call it the Passover because the angel of death passed over their houses because the doorposts were covered by blood. They ate this meal to give thanks and remember all that God had done on their behalf. And actually, one of the really key things we see in the Old Testament, which is why I'm such an advocate of having children in the service when we take communion, was that actually the Passover meal where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, he says, we read that actually, when they take the Passover meal and your children ask you, why are you doing this? You shall tell them, this is why we do it. The children were meant to see and be part of what God had done because they were also delivered from it. And we're going to think later on about covenant. And actually as God's covenant people, the promise isn't just mine. And it's not just yours. But it's a promise to our children and our children's children. And that's why we do infant baptism. Because actually we believe the promises that God has for us as his people, that they're not just to be held for me. But they're actually there for my children and my children's children as well. But they didn't just look back in Passover meal. They didn't just look back and give thanks, but there was actually a prophetic element in this meal that they would take because ultimately it pointed forward to the freedom the Lamb of God would give to God's people, not from slavery in Egypt, from slavery and bondage and sin, that we could know freedom and deliverance from the weight and the curse of the law. Absolutely, the Passover meal commemorated, looked back and gave thanks. But as we look at Jesus, we see that it was also a symbolic and a prophetic illustration for all that Jesus would do for his people. So this Passover meal would consist of some bread, there'd be wine. People would say there was often about four different cups of wine that were being passed around. But there was also a lamb that would be present that they would preside over and that they would share off. And isn't it quite something to picture that the Lamb of God, the one that we thought of last Sunday in Revelation 5, the one who is worthy to take the scroll, that here the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, is sitting round this Passover meal with his followers, sitting over this lamb that ultimately pointed to him. Pointed to his own death. And what is his response? I have earnestly desired this moment for the joy set before me. Jesus wasn't ill-informed. He knew he would suffer. He knew he was being betrayed. He knew all that was in store for him. And yet he still earnestly desired In verse 16, we read, For I will tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he sits around this meal and he says, He points forward. This, again, is a prophetic declaration that Jesus is saying, Although I'm going to suffer, I will be able to eat a meal with you again as my followers, but not until the kingdom of God comes. Jesus knew that although he was going to suffer, it would not be the end of him. There would be a day coming where he would eat and drink with his followers once again, that day when the kingdom of God comes. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside his glory, which is true. He emptied himself of his glory, but he never emptied himself of his divinity. It's a really crucial thing to understand. That actually, he set aside his glory, but for one moment, he did not stop being God. He was God the entire time. He knew what was before him. He knew what it would cost. But he knew what was at stake. He knew what he would earn. The redemption of your soul. He knew he'd rise again. That's why in verse 16 he says that, For I, will, I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And this, until it is fulfilled, uh, what, what it is showing us is that he's, it's, it's talking about the perfect Passover. That's what that phrase means. There'll be a perfect Passover that's going to take place. And Jesus is talking about himself. And what's fascinating is that Jesus changes the Passover liturgy. They have done this meal for, for a long, 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 long time. Their fathers and their fathers before them and their fathers, fathers, fathers. They had celebrated and given thanks and sat around the Passover meal together. But Jesus does something that I'm sure would have, would have just taken the, the disciples, the followers, quite by surprise. Because actually he changes the, the Passover liturgy, liturgy here which only he had the authority to do because the Passover is ultimately and pointing towards him because he is the perfect Passover lamb. This bread and wine that they would always have done at Passover. I don't want it to remind you of your deliverance from Egypt anymore, he says. But I want it to remind you of, of what I'm going to do for you and the deliverance I'm going to bring for you. That actually it's not just about the delivery from Egypt but it's from the delivery of the the, the very pits of hell, from the clutches and the chains of sin. It now reminds you of me, Jesus says, the deliverance I'm going to bring you. So in this moment, Jesus is also bringing about the end of the old covenant. And he ushers in this new covenant, he says. He brings an end to the old covenant. We read in verse 20, he says these incredible words. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. I mentioned the importance of that covenant theology that we hold in the Reformed Church. That the promise is for us as believers in Christ, but also for our children and our children's children. Covenant theology is really important. We believe that it shows us God's continued relationship with his people from Adam all the way to you. We see covenant through the passages of scripture. It's how God relates to his people, his covenant. We see it with Adam, where God instills and and he gives this covenant of works, it's called. A covenant of works he makes with Adam. And what does that mean? Well, God said, Adam, there's going to be blessing from your obedience. But if you disobey me, there's going to be severe consequences. And it depended upon what Adam did. Blessings if you obey, but there'll be consequences if you eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is that consequence we read of? That you will surely die. The relationship that Adam had with God was based on what Adam did. And then when Adam rebelled and when he sinned and when he went against the T's and C's of the covenant that God had established with him, it put creation under the curse of the law, under the curse of sin. And God could have, in his moral rightness, have destroyed the whole world. Why? Because the T's and C's allowed him to do so. If you eat of that tree... Eat the fruit of that tree, you will surely die. And we see God nearly does that later on in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah, where he sends a flood. You know, the Bible could have ended at Genesis chapter 3 verse 6, just after they've eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because death was rightly should have been theirs. But God is gracious. And he implemented a plan of redemption, which we see revealed to Noah in a new covenant. It's still the old covenant in the Old Testament. This covenant of grace. That he makes with Noah that's seen in the rainbow. This other covenant that he, he further establishes it with uh, Abraham, which is sealed by circumcision. And then he reveals more of this covenant to Moses at Mount Sinai. And then more of this covenant to David, where we see this promise of this everlasting kingdom that would come through the uh, David's people. And what we see in the covenant of grace that God establishes with Noah onwards is this promise of redemption through another way. So covenant theology understands that from God's covenant with Noah, and then from then onwards, scripture teaches us the administration and the advancement of God's kingdom, which reaches its pinnacle and its fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. those under this old covenant of grace in the Old Testament, they looked forward to this promised one who would come. They weren't saved by works. They were saved by faith, we read. Paul labors this point in Romans and, and, and we see that passage in Hebrews 11 about the heroes of old that were justified by faith. They were saved by faith. It wasn't what they did, but it was because of their belief. And just as they looked forward to this one who would come, this promised Messiah, this redemption that would come through another way, we on this side of the cross, under the new covenant, we're also saved by faith, not looking forward. But looking back to the one who went to the cross of Calvary in our place. The link between the old covenant and the new covenant is Jesus Christ himself. He's promised in the old covenant. And with him coming, he brings a new covenant which he speaks about with this cup that he said with his disciples around the the, the Passover meal. This institution of the Lord's Supper that was sealed by his blood. You see, there was another cup. There was another cup that was intended for you and for me. But a cup that Jesus drank so that you didn't have to drink it. Do you remember when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26? He prays this prayer, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What is that cup that Jesus was begging the Father to let pass by him? What was that cup that that led Jesus to such anguish that brought him to the place where he was sweating drops of blood? The Old Testament speaks often of God's wrath as a cup. We read in Psalm 75 these words. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. I said that each one of us has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. That started with Adam when he rebelled against God's covenant with him. And what was the intended consequence of that rebellion? Death. You shall surely die. And that cup that Psalm 75 speaks about is a cup that was filled with the wrath of God. The judgment of God which was rightfully mine. It should have been mine to drink. That should have been the cup that I drank from. Because I've sinned, because I've fallen short of God's standard and his glory. You see, we do this thing where we say, well, do you know what? I'm okay. I'm not as bad as this person or that person. Let me tell you, this person and that person, they're not the standard. It's God we stand before. And because that's the case, the cup that I should have drank from was full of wrath and judgment. It should have been mine because I sinned, because I fell short of God's glory. But there is a perfect Passover Lamb, the darling of heaven, who was sinless, spotless, without blemish, who was worthy to open the scroll. And He took my punishment; He took the wrath of God that was intended for me upon His shoulders. That's what we read from Isaiah fifty-three. In my place he stood, in my place he hung, in my place he was beaten, in my place the wrath of God was placed upon him. And he took that cup of God's wrath and judgment and he drank it all, every single last drop. If you're in Christ this morning, the cup that was meant to be, the cup of wrath that was yours, it is empty now. Because Jesus has drunk it. He's finished it for you. So that you don't have to even go near the wrath of God. That's why we say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now. Why? Because Jesus dealt with it all on our behalf. He took that cup of wrath, he drank it all he atoned, he was the ransom for many, he was the propitiation for our sin, he was the one who appeased the wrath of God the perfect sacrifice, he took the cup of wrath with one hand and what does he do? He goes here's a new cup here's a new covenant for you and it's going to be sealed by my blood, so you don't have to drink this cup, I've dealt with it for you you need no drink of this cup. That cup that we sat around the Lord's table with. The cup of blessing. The cup of the new covenant. That is sealed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this new covenant. As Hebrews says. Is a better covenant. Because we have access to God now in ways. That we never did before under the old. We read in. And I will remember their sin no more. That is the new covenant that we are in. That is sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when a covenant was made. It needed to be ratified with the shedding of blood. And as Jesus says there's a new covenant now for you. He could say that because the next day. He would ratify that by shedding his blood for his people. In the new covenant our sin is dealt with. By a once and for all sacrifice. Under the old covenant, they had a sacrificial system, so they had to keep offering sacrifices to the Lord. But now Jesus has been a once for all sacrifice for us. This is the cup of the new covenant, which is in my blood, Jesus says. And it's been shed for the forgiveness of your sins. All because of the sacrifice of Of the perfect lamb. The lamb without blemish. I want to make one last point. Before we finish this morning. I said in the Passover. That they they looked back. As a commemorative. But actually was also pointing forward. They looked back with thanks. But they look forward with hope. This is still true for us. Twice Jesus in these verses in Luke 22 speaks about the future. In his institution that we read from 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In the Lord's Supper, in drinking from the cup, And taking the bread. We 100% rightfully and always will look back and give thanks for all that Jesus has done in our place. Taking the judgment and the wrath of God so that we could know salvation, freedom and redemption. But it's not just a commemorative meal. We look forward with hope to the day our Saviour comes back to take us to be with him. This is a prophetic declaration that our saviour is coming once again. I say to Joel whenever we're crossing the road now remember Joel look both ways. Sandy Hills look both ways. Look back and say thank you Jesus for dying in my place. Thank you for shedding your blood for a sinner like me. But look forward with hope. Say, praise you, Lord, that you're coming back. That you're going to take me to be with you. That you'll adorn me in beauty as Revelation speaks of. Because I'm your bride. So look both ways, Sandy Hills. Look back and say, thank you, Jesus, for coming. But look forward and say, thank you, Jesus, that you're coming again. When we celebrate communion, we stand in the in-between space of this now-not-yet kingdom of God. But we live with a full hope and reality and security that it is finished. We remember the Lord's atoning death. That has saved us. But also. Look forward with all confidence. That we have a saviour. Who will one day return. And as Jesus spoke about. In Luke 22. That there is another meal. That we will eat with him. In glory. The ultimate banquet in heaven. At the marriage feast. Of the lamb. In the father's house. Beloved of God. That is your hope that has been sealed by the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. This new covenant that we're in. That Jesus has done it all. Let us pray. Jesus, we, we give you glory this morning. And we look back and we say thank you for all you've done for us. But Lord, we look both ways. Knowing that we don't just remember the death of our Savior. But actually that death couldn't hold him. The grave couldn't contain him. And that you've risen and ascended and you're seated in all power, glory and might. And that one day you will take us to be with you. We will partake in the marriage feast of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And with your glory, fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. We're going to sing our concluding item of praise.